good morning. As we get started, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Uh, Mike is not with us because he is still gallivanting about Belize somewhere, um, honeymooning it up, I guess. Uh, he'll be back with us next Sunday. And as I'm thinking about that, uh, I want to remind you that uh, Mike's going to be starting a series when he gets back, kind of a, a question and answer. Uh, what my students in my classroom have called Question Friday. Uh, he wants to do from the pulpit with more preparation so that uh, Bowers doesn't come in and go, okay, give us 30 minutes on predestination um, from the chair to the pulpit uh, to give him a little bit of lead time to, to maybe put some things together. Um, and I say that because, one, I could see that happening, and two, uh, I could see needing some preparation to answer that question. So I want to encourage you over the next couple of days, uh, you can either put, fill out a uh, connection card and place it in the box right outside, or send Mike an email and say, hey, answer this question. Uh, could be, how do Christians respond to this? Uh, it could be predestination or something like that, uh, just for the fun of it. Uh, things that you think maybe haven't been answered or thought about uh, or talked about um, during a sermon at FC3. And so Mike's going to handle that for several weeks. Uh, just want to encourage you to put that question out there so that he can work on that. Um, he, he texted me over uh, over the weekend or over Thursday and said, hey, tell me how Christmas Eve service went. To which I replied, no, you're on your honeymoon. Um, so he is... Uh, He's still checking, he's still very much uh, doing what he's supposed to be doing, but thinking about his church family as well, and so I just want to uh, extend that to you. Uh, so let's dig in. Uh, today we're going to talk about the, the kind of the last part of the Christmas story that often gets put into nativity scenes, but I think wrongly gets put into nativity scenes, and that's the wise men. Um, I love the fact that there are no wise men on stage at all. Um, but I also love the fact that as we think about that story, that we come with this thought later, that something about the wise men causes them to tarry, causes them to delay. And I think it's something that we can kind of apply to our lives today, something that we can take in and look at and take some, some leadership from the wise men on how we ourselves conduct ourselves in worship, in conducting ourselves in dealing with our life circumstances and dealing with things that are happening. And so, as we look at Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to see uh, potentially the first Gentile worshipers. Uh, a lot of times when we, when we consider the wise men, we think maybe uh, they're there and there's a baby still wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger. I think we have quite a bit of distance between point A and point B in the turning of the page from Matthew chapter 1. To Matthew chapter 2. So let's look at our text this morning and then uh, see if we can take some things out of this. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gold gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's get down to verse 16. When Herod, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Those who read this biblical text, who are critical of the Bible, who are critical of God, who are critical of what Scripture says, come to this text and say, nope, not going to believe it. Not going to believe that a star would suddenly appear. Not going to believe that it's, it's going to move around. Not going to believe that any of these things come to play when we look at this passage. In fact, most people who look at the English form of this look at it and say, this is saying things that couldn't possibly happen. Like the wise men end up in Jerusalem and then the star leads them to Bethlehem. The difficulty with this, among many others, is that Bethlehem is directly south of Jerusalem. Now, I'm no Jake Milwee, but I'm pretty much thinking that if there is a star like the North Star that would lead hikers north, that a star rising in the east would lead wise guys east. But Bethlehem's to the south. And so there's this problem that seems to be this satellite, this moving star that's kind of keeping everybody guessing what's going to happen next. And some who are astronomers who study the stars and some who are astrologers who kind of set patterns with different things like the zodiac and those kinds of things, look at these things and go, ah, something's not quite right. And astronomers look at this text and say, stars don't move in human lifetime. If we go out and we look for the Big Dipper today, well, tonight, we'll see the Big Dipper. And we'll look in the exact same place that we've always looked, and we'll see the Big Dipper. Those of you who are less inclined to know all the constellations, there's an app for that. You can go out, put in the app, point in the right direction, look down, look up, and go, there it is. The wise guys at this point didn't have those options, and yet they see something different that causes them to wonder. They see something different that causes them to, to pause. And I think they give us an example of something we too need to do. They used their brain. They used the wisdom that had been given them through their studies to, to take their circumstances and their situations and see what's going on. And I think they give us a good a good reason to do the same. 
uh, I came across an article as I was preparing for this, and it just so happens that uh, it fit perfectly because it always just so happens. Uh, Chris sent me this article about uh, just this question, the Star of Bethlehem, written by David Weintraub. Uh, just kind of going at it from an astronomer's standpoint. What is it that we have going on here? Can we believe the biblical text? Can we see this potential star in the east and what's going on there? And he'll, he'll give the option of, of a miracle where this star just magically or miraculously appears and then fades and then comes back and then fades. But he also gives another possibility that doesn't require that, that requires God's natural working in his creation, the way that he's created it to work all along. And I think there's something to be had there. Um, I can give you the whole article when we, when we check out later um, because it's a fascinating read. He takes us through all these possibilities, and he, he gives us this impression that the wise men who were there were very wise mathematically and uh, astronomically. In other words, how they study these things for where they were in their time, they were very wise and very brilliant. And so on top of that, they're constantly adding to that what they understand about astrology, what we call the zodiac. When those who were born in April are this. And honestly, uh, there's not a lot of trust that we need to place in that. You know, I check my horoscope every day. Uh, those can be self-fulfilling prophecies. Uh, so would recommend against that. Uh, today you'll have a great day where somebody will give you money. Well, that's easy. You just go up to somebody and say, hey, give me money. Hey, horoscope fulfilled. Um, but these guys studied those things on big patterns and big schemes and said things like, when this day happens, somebody important has been born. When these events happen, something big is happening Somewhere, Maybe not right here with us, but something is happening. And what these guys have done is they're looking, uh, possibly studying this, this coming king, this potential coming king, and have been looking for some time. And they're looking for any sign that there's been this royal birth. They're looking uh, potentially for anomalies in the way the stars uh, showed up. Not that they moved, but that a planet came into an orbit or something came into something where they could see it. Like if we're, we're following star patterns and all that, and I don't want to get into the whole thing. It's, it's fascinating to me, but I don't want to geek out on you. Um, where we can look at the orbit of Jupiter around the sun, and occasionally Jupiter comes into our line of sight and stays there for a while and then goes away. And we lap it because our path is shorter than the... This is going to look great on the podcast. Um, but the idea that occasionally Jupiter comes into our line of sight... Well, one of the things that Jupiter does for them is early, early, early in the morning, just before the sun comes up, Jupiter is visible in the east for about that long. And then when the sun comes up, the brightness of the sunrise blinds, or not blinds, removes the visibility of Jupiter. And so they're out, they're up early in the morning, they're looking, and just before the sun comes up, they look to the east, and they see this sight. It's not an unusual sight. It would be something they would expect to see. They'd be looking for that, and they would see it. And then the sun would come up, and it would go away. And so they would come out the next day. Same thing. And this would last for several months where they could see it. And so this star in the east that appeared in the east 
would be visible enough they could see it, and I think that's what started their journey. I don't think it was something that they went towards it as much as they looked at it and said, that says something has happened. So then we, we back up a little bit. Because as we said at the beginning, I don't think the wise men are in the nativity. And they shouldn't be. If anything, uh, if you have a nativity scene, put the wise men like across the house. I think that's a realistic picture. They should be across the house. And then like two years later, they show up. And so Jesus is a, is a toddler at this point. Anywhere from 12 to 24 months old, um, with a lot more going on. I think they see the star, they look at it, and they go, that's different. And then they look at it, and they go, wait, we're in, we're in this month, right? So if we have the astrologer saying this could be a royal birth, and then we have the astronomy, the star saying this could be a royal birth, they have this indication that something is, is big and happening. And so they begin researching, and all the engineers in the room can appreciate this. They drew up charts, and they, they measured back, and they, they did some research to see if there was anything back behind there. And then they look at all the pieces, and they, they see that they all begin pointing to some similar things. And they think, you know, we've got to go, we've got to go check out our findings to make sure our findings are accurate. And so they begin. And as they're moving, uh, the star isn't necessarily leading them on. In fact, there's going to come a point where, because of the Earth's rotation around the sun, that Jupiter's not going to be seen for some time. They continue moving. Uh, it shows back up again. And it seems to be as if, it, it, at a certain day, it stops. Like it's being lapped. But before, it was going this, and so it was moving. And then it, it's like it starts going the other direction. There's this day where it stands still. And it's not over Bethlehem. But as much as it is, wow, it's standing still where it was moving before. And so they look at all these things. They go and they think, well, if there's a king to be born, maybe there's this king in Israel. And they show up. This, this would be no, no small event. They go to the capital city. They go and they begin asking questions. Where's, where's the, the new king? What new king? Where's the king's palace? And so they show up. People in Jerusalem are starting to talk. It's like uh, being in a small town in Texas. Um, if an odd person shows up, the entire town knows by lunchtime. Um, it's the same kind of thing. They start talking, and they're looking around, and they're going, this is really odd, because I don't think it was just three guys that show up. I think it's a, an entourage. I think this is a huge caravan. Everything is happening, and they're trying to figure out who this king is. And so they're thinking a royal birth. Well, who better to have a royal birth than the king of, of Israel at the time? And so they go up to Herod and they say, has your wife had a baby recently? No. Well, a king has been born in Israel. Where is the king? And they just bypass. They're ready to get rid of Herod, not get rid of him, but move away from Herod and find the real king. Well, this could be a little disturbing if you go to the king of Israel and you say, where's the king of Israel? And he's like, it'd be like today us going to the White House, standing in the Oval Office and saying, where's the president? No, 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 no. Where's the real president? And that's, kind of, that's how this kind of proceeds through. 
So how do the wise men give us um, any indication of what's going on? How do, how do we follow this? What do we do with all of this? I think we see something that we need to apply to our own faith. They look at their circumstances. They look at what God's doing around them, and they try to, to figure it out. And then they take their, their findings and try to see if those findings are accurate. They see what the, the circumstances are dictating, and then they try to see, are those circumstances right? I think they would have been fine to show up in Jerusalem and not find a king. But they were expecting. They were expecting to find a king. They were hoping to find a king. And so they were following their circumstances. They were, they were loving the Lord their God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. And I think that's what we need to do too. As we look at what the wise men are giving us, I think there's some things that we have to know ahead of time. And if we don't know them, I think we have to, to put in the work to grow and to study and to learn so that we can see those things. So they show up, they ask Herod, Herod doesn't know. Uh, all of Israel, or all of Jerusalem is stirred up by this. I think the priests are there. Maybe uh, a priest who will show up later in Jesus' life is helping them find this information and know what's going on. The wise men go on from there and they find Mary. And again, there's this maybe two-year-old kid. But I want you to think about this. Where's the best place, where's the most expensive place you could go to get lunch today? Just give me, say it again. One more time. Texas Day Brazil. Did I say it right? Okay. Now, haven't been there. Is it good? Is it, it's, it's, it's expensive. We could name a dozen other places, maybe Fogo de Chao, something like that, just expensive okay now i want you to think about that you're expecting that kind of meal and your gps takes you to taco bell <laughs> it's still okay but the wise men show up they end up in this place they're looking around there in bethlehem which if you go there today there are christmas lights even in june uh it's kind of crazy and you you see nothing that would be a royal residence. I mean, you do now, but you wouldn't then. You wouldn't see anything that a king would reside in. They show up, and it's like expecting Fogo and getting Taco Bell. Expecting a king's palace and getting a, a peasant's house. But they do something. They do something very interesting. They go in. And they worship. They go in as they find out that what they thought to be true was true. They see it and they rejoice. The first thing they do when they encounter the baby is they rejoice. The next thing they do after they rejoice is they worship. And then they give gifts. I think there's a pattern here for us as well. I think for Christians, as we live out our Christian faith, I think there should be a joy that is evident among us. How many of you have ever seen a Christian that worships like this? And I'm not talking about songs. I mean, their life is like, I love Jesus. No, really. Really. There's no joy. There's no evidence that Christ is in them. And that doesn't mean that we paste on a fake smile. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that in the midst of circumstances, 
we have this confident assurance that God is in control and that shows in the way we live our lives. It's not a, a fake smile, a, a happy mask that we put on. That's not joy. That's something else. It's unfortunate that many times that's what we think joy is and we put on our happy face and, and we're good to go. Joy is this confident assurance that God is in control even in the midst of circumstances that may say otherwise. They rejoiced. They were excited. They were, they, were, they were changed by what they saw. These Gentile wise kings who were using their resources well and wisely came to the baby, or came to the toddler probably, and in the midst of that rejoiced. And I think there should be some impact in our lives when the God of the universe, the king of the universe, is our king, and there should be some evidence of joy in the midst of that. But I think that should also affect our worship. And I'm not talking about just songs. I think our lifestyle should reflect a worship of the king. I think that as we live our lives, as we walk through our lives, that there should be something about us that is proclaiming who God is, that we are proclaiming his word. And it doesn't have to be songs. It doesn't have to be a sermon. It's a matter of living day to day and looking at what God has given us. And then in the midst of that, living like he has changed us, living like he has saved us, living like we are citizens of a new kingdom and he's our king. And then they bring gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh, interesting gifts to bring a child. You can't play with them. Frankincense is a very powerful uh, smell, one that if contained in a box, when you open it, gives you a headache um, from personal experience. Um, but they give gifts. They, they bring of their resources not because they are expected to, not because it's a tithe or an offering or anything like that. It's, it's a gift. It's an act of worship of saying, you are the king and we acknowledge that. Our findings were right. We've come a long distance, and here we are kneeling at this two-year-old. I want you to think about that for just a second, those of you who have had two-year-olds in your house. <laughs> and all these wise guys, maybe it's three, maybe it's more, we don't know. And, and here he is. Doesn't look like a king. He doesn't have a little orb thing over his head. two-year-old boy. Those of you who've raised two-year-old boys, there's just something about that. It's the most exhilarating and frustrating experience at the same time. Why, why did you put your hand up? I don't know. And we don't, you know, we know Jesus was fully human. Um, we know that Mary probably had to take care of a two-year-old boy who acted like a two-year-old boy. But these wise men understood something more. And in understanding that, they bring worship. So how do we look at all of this? Why gold? Why frankincense? Why myrrh? At least two of these are burial spices. That's an odd thing to bring to your old. Either that's a death threat or that's a foreshadowing of something else. And these kings bring that which is costly and, and offer it to this and two of them are burial spices, things that you could hold on to, I guess. But the little section that I skipped, Mary and Joseph 
run to Egypt, and they're going to need financial resources to get there. So they're likely going to trade this in for the ability to do that. I don't think, even though we didn't really read it, I don't think Egypt is a, is a, a minor comment. A couple of weeks ago, when we were talking through the the, uh, the songs at Easter, or Easter, Christmas, sorry, thinking ahead, um, the songs at Christmas, we, we talked about this idea that there was this 400-year gap between the end of Genesis and the, end, and the beginning of Exodus. And there's been this other 400-year gap between the end of Malachi, or Micah, and the beginning of Matthew. There's been this silence. And in the midst of that, we see God leading Mary, Joseph, and Jesus down to Egypt, as if to say, there was a deliverance that came to Israel out of Egypt. And there's going to come deliverance out of Egypt again. And he's not going to reside in Egypt. He's not going to be born there, but he's going to come from there. And he's going to fulfill even more of these prophecies. And so we see even that being part of God's just natural working of some of this. Coming out of Egypt, coming back. And then the indicator of the age and when the wise men would have shown up in that last section. So what do we do with all what do we do at the end of all of this? I think we take the wise men example uh, to heart. That we begin to, one, look at our circumstances, and not let our circumstances dictate how we worship, but let our circumstances inform how we worship. Sometimes those who worship most deeply are the ones who are hurting most deeply. And their circumstances are informing their worship. Sometimes those who are able to, to study and see and grow and see all of these things and go, wow, that's amazing. When they come in and they, they understand all of these things, they're able to worship more deeply. And so as we wrap up 2015 and we begin to look ahead to 2016, I want to put a challenge in front of you. I want to put a challenge in front of you to become like the wise men in your understanding of Scripture. Some of you may be reading your Scriptures every day. And, and digging into that and finding great joy and great hope and great peace in the midst of that. And maybe some of you are at that point where you're reading devotionally through Scripture and it's time to start studying. It's time to start digging deeper. It's time to start asking questions. Maybe it's time to take that a step further and get in, get in community with those who don't know this Scripture and to begin opening the Scriptures with them and teaching them which requires even more preparation. I think the wise men, when they use their resources, when they use the wisdom that they had, they put all of that together and then it turned into worship. And so as we open the door to 2016 in less than a week, I want to challenge you. Find a way that fits your time, that fits your schedule, that fits your lifestyle to get into the scripture. We have an example in Acts chapter 17 when Paul is speaking to the church at Berea and they took everything that he said, and they said, oh, yeah, that's great. And then they would go back, and they would open the scrolls in the synagogue and see if what he said was true. They didn't just take it because it was said to them by an authority. They took it, and they said, I believe it, but I want to check it. And they studied, and they dug deep, and they began to, to really make it their own. And so I challenge you as we walk into this next year to, to study it for yourself. I challenge you further to let the joy of the Lord be evident in your lives. 
Again, not a giddy happiness unless that is how God is speaking in your life right now. But maybe just a solid foundation of my circumstances may go this way, but I trust in God in the midst of it. And let that inform your worship just as it informed the worship of the wise men. And then let that show in your gifts, which, by the way, aren't necessarily financial. Some of you have been given extraordinary talents. Some of you have been given spiritual gifts that need to be exercised. Some of you are just discovering that. Some of you have known it for years, and it's time to put that what you've been given to work as a form of worship. Some of you may find yourself here or there. Some of you may find yourself thinking, hey, I'm not ever going to happen. And God's going to bring a person in your life who's going to ask all those hard questions that you asked back 20 years ago. And you're going to have to answer them again. And you're going to have to dig deep. And you're going to have to find out. And God's going to bring that person who's like, well, why? Well, why? An adult three-year-old. Why? Why? Why Why do you believe this stuff? I just do. Well, that's not good enough. Because that person may really be searching. It may be that God puts that person in your life. And those of you who are who would never step on stage have that person in your office or in your home or in your friendship circle or somewhere else, and all of a sudden, you are being the person who is helping them understand the scripture. And the only way that's going to happen is if you understand it for yourself. See, the beauty of being a believer, one of the beauties of being a believer, is that we bring the Holy Spirit with us. But we also understand that he goes before us. So let's say Andrew and I are having a conversation. Holy Spirit's been working in Andrew's life, unbeknownst to me, and Andrew has this moment where he's like, I, I, just, I need somebody to talk to who gets this stuff. Andrew, hey, let's go have breakfast. Would love to have breakfast. And the next thing we know, what turned into a social conversation turns into, I have some deep questions about faith, and I really need some answers. Great, what are your questions? Which would be a perfect time to plug again that we're going to have a four-part sermon series where Mike will be answering questions. Um, but that would be an, an excellent opportunity. When we look at the wise men, we had an example. You're going to put your Christmas decorations away. The gifts will be wherever they're supposed to go. Christmas lights and everything else will fade as they're supposed to. I don't think the wise guys stepped away from that encounter with Christ and forgot about it. And so for us, let us not lose sight the Christmas lights and all those other things are beautiful, but that's not the point. The point is, is our growing relationship with Jesus Christ and growing that in community. I challenge you as you start 2016 to find ways to get into the scripture and love the Lord your God with all your mind. Let's pray together.